you are Locked On Dodgers, your daily Los Angeles Dodgers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So I say D, I say D-O, D-O-D, D-O-D-G, D-O-D-G-E-R-S, team, 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 team. Hello, Dodger fans. Welcome to Locked On Dodgers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one local sports daily podcast network. Locked On, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Locked On Dodgers is the daily podcast covering the Los Angeles Dodgers, bringing you the smart fans' perspective on our boys in blue. I am Jeff Snyder of Baseball Essential, along with Vince Semperio of Chavez Ravine Fiends. Vince... After 19 days without talking about a loss, we are now two days in a row talking about a Dodgers loss. Yeah, not an ideal situation, but we have a lot of things to talk about and some very good positive notes and hopes. Uh, hopefully the Dodgers can capitalize on what we're going to talk about. Yeah, if you're coming for a doom and gloom episode, this is not going to be it. Obviously, we are realistic to uh, the situation, and we're not going to tell you it's a good situation, but... Uh, but I do think there's hope. So we're going to talk about a lot of those things. That's the plan. But first, we want to remind you, please subscribe to Locked On Dodgers wherever you get your podcasts. And when you get in your car or sit on your couch, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Dodgers. All right. So I guess before we get into the game, let's talk about the big news from the pregame, which was that Clayton Kershaw was scratched from his start because of back spasms. Tony Gonsolin got the start instead. We'll talk more about about Tony's performance in a minute, but uh, you know the Kershaw thing. Apparently, it started Saturday after his bullpen session, uh, and they Dave Roberts said they kicked the kicked the can down the road as far as they could. Uh, but when push came to shove, today Wednesday, Wednesday is that what day it is as we're recording this, Vince? Yeah, yeah. Um, that that morning, it just Kershaw just couldn't go, and so they they bumped him. Uh, Roberts said he is very optimistic that Kershaw will pitch in the series, uh, but it won't be game three. And so I think game four is probably what they're shooting for. So uh, I don't know. What were your thoughts when you heard about Kershaw events? I'm not sure if you asked. Today is Tuesday, so Tuesday morning was when they would ever about Kershaw. But either way, obviously not an ideal situation. It almost could have been one of those... Uh, things that was kind of a, a happy accident, I would say, if Gonsolin and the Dodgers could have pulled it out, and then you have Kershaw waiting in the wings. Uh, but either way, he he threw a, a little side session. He did some dry work. He he seems to be ready to go, and they said he, he'll pitch game four, assuming his back holds up. So at this point, the Dodgers got to take advantage on offense, get a win, uh, with Julio on the mound and then get to Kershaw and have a chance. Uh, you know, these next three games obviously are key for the fact that they're down 2-0, but they're also key for getting back on track in this series and making it what it should be. The news about Kershaw was, you know, it ended up being not as bad as it felt at first because uh, at first when you hear Kershaw and back problems, you don't think a one-day thing. You know, he's had a history of back problems, but... Uh, theoretically, at least this particular issue is unrelated to his other back issues, and hopefully he'll be back at full strength for Game Four. And yeah, going in, you know, we talked on yesterday's episode about how the the key for Game Two was going to be getting to Ian Anderson, and they 
they got to him, but they never totally got to him. And that was a little bit frustrating. You know, they had a lot of guys on base. Will Smith uh, had five guys on base in his first two at-bats and had two ground outs to third to show for it. Uh, you know, Mookie Betts. The, the one thing I saw, and I guess we're just jumping into into the, the game two talk, Vince. Uh, one, one thing that really stood out to me is – a lot of different, a lot of things that happened in the game. If they had happened at different times, it would have been a totally different game. Because you know, Mookie Betts hit the ball. You know, ha- had a a double later in the game. If he had had that uh, in his previous at bat, right before Corey Seager's home run, that's an extra run. If Will Smith's base hit to the left center field gap happens on either of his first two at bats, that's an extra run or two. You know, and and. It, for a while, it was looking like it might not matter when the Dodgers were down seven to nothing. It's like, oh well, it could be seven to three, big deal. But uh, but then when they ended up losing eight to seven, it turns out all those little things uh, ended up mattering. Yeah, and you just go back and look on it, and the 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 key moment was when Gonsolin came out and they went to Baez. And things kind of fell apart right there. After the game, Dave Roberts said he didn't use Caleric or Gratterall in a spot right there uh, because down 3-0, you know, didn't want to use the big arms thinking about the longer series. But I think down 3-0, even with the offense not showing anything, you knew you were going to get to their bullpen shortly since Anderson's pitch count was a little higher. I do think that's one spot they could have played it a little tougher. And then, you know, later on as it got – as the – Deficit got bigger, you know, obviously using Alex Wood and trying to, they didn't get too much out of him, but they got more than they, they could have out of somebody else. Obviously down 5-0, 7-0, it changes that a little bit to where you're, yeah, you don't want to use your high leverage guys. But 3-0 in the fifth inning, I think that's the spot where they could have went to one of their big guys. And, and Bias has been a guy before, but he had a kind of a weird year, already a short year in general. And I didn't hate the move at the time. Uh, but obviously it ended up not working out. Yeah, a lot of it comes down to what your opinion of Baez is right now, what what his role should be, and it seems like it was kind of a hedging your bets thing. It's not an Alex Wood thing. You're not saying, okay, we're throwing in the towel, uh, and you know I don't think anybody expected Baez to come in and give up a hit in two walks. You know, it, it was uh, not not what you wanted from Baez in that situation, and I and I don't think it's what you would have expected. I I think. You know, with with Tony coming out with two runners on and one out, you kind of would expect, okay, Baez should be able to get out of this with just one more run allowed. And instead, it it turned into a little bit more than that. And uh, and it could have been worse if not for a nice play by Bellinger. Uh, Just, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I didn't have an issue with with the move at the time because you do – you have seven straight games with, with no days off potentially. And, you know, we saw after game one, so much criticism of using too many pitchers in, in the wrong spots and whatever. And, you know, I, I think it's a, a thankless job and a no-win situation for a manager in that situation because if he brings in Gratterall and they end up losing, you know, five to nothing, it's like, why did you waste Gratterall? Why did you waste your big guns in, in a game that wasn't close? And, you know, three three nothing is, it's it's right at that borderline of what do you do in this situation? How hard do you go after it? And, and it seemed like Baez was a, a decent hedging of the bets option that just uh, didn't work out. Yeah. It didn't work out. And he becomes a little bit 
casualty of the new three batter minimum because it was clear he didn't have it uh, after the second batter. But either way, just the little thing, like I said, the little things that kind of added up. Alex Wood giving up a run in his inning. Mookie Betts. I'm not going to say he he pulled up because he didn't want to risk it at that point in a a 5-0, 6-0 game, whatever it was at that point. But he clearly didn't know where the wall was and did pull up, and the ball ended up dropping in and a run scored. Can't remember if friends would have scored either way, but uh, later on. But, you know, that that was a part one. Part of it, Calera giving up a home run to Albies, obviously in the top of the ninth. The Dodgers come within that one run later on. So it was just a bunch of little things. But the fact of the matter is they couldn't have really counted on the offense given what we've seen the first 14 innings of the series so then that the offense came alive is a good sign and something we'll get into in the second half yeah i think the second half of this episode will be a little bit more optimism uh you know obviously dodgers down two games to none uh that sucks and they are not in a good situation uh but we will come back and we'll talk a little bit about some of the reasons for hope but first let's talk about built bar uh built bar is the best tasting protein bar in the world it's also probably the healthiest. They have 18 different flavors that are all delicious. Anything you want, whatever you're looking for. I mean, caramel brownie, that sounds like a candy bar. And yet somehow it's healthy. Uh, it, it has very little sugar, very little uh, carbs, few calories, and a ton of protein. Uh, it, they're just more healthy for you than other protein bars and the crazy thing is they don't taste like cardboard garbage like other protein bars do and so whatever you're trying to do lose weight built bars for it doing keto built bar is the answer want to add muscle built bar whatever your question does your mother love you built bar any question you have the answer is built bar and right now all you got to do is go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on and you'll get 20% off your next order that's promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com and keep it locked on Dodgers. All right, Vince, it's time for our obscure former Dodger. And there's been a little bit of talk on Twitter this evening about how the Dodgers were down two games to nothing in two different series in 1981 in the NLDS against the Astros and the World Series against the Yankees. And they came back to win both of those series. And so I was looking at uh, the, those 81 Dodgers and a guy who came across who isn't obscure to guys my age, but uh, to some of you younger bucks, uh, it's probably a name you've heard, but you don't know a lot of specifics about him. And that is Tom Needenfewer. Are you familiar with Tom Needenfewer events? Uh, other than the name. So uh, if you've seen highlights of Ozzie Smith hitting a home run off the Dodgers in the 1985 playoffs and uh, Jack Buck saying, go crazy folks, go crazy. That's Tom Needenfewer on the mound. If you saw the other home run in that series by Jack Clark, that's Tom Needenfewer on the mound. Uh, Tom Needenfewer came up with the Dodgers in 1981 uh, through 26 innings and then was on the postseason roster uh, pitched in the all three series, the NLDS, NLCS and World Series. Uh, didn't allow a run in five and two thirds innings uh, or not an earned run, allowed two runs in the World Series, uh, but they were both unearned. And he was uh, solid, but not great. He actually walked uh, a few. He had a, a whip of six in each of the first two series, but both of them, it was uh, two base runners in a third of an inning, but but no runs. And uh, anyway, Tom Needenfewer is an interesting story because uh, Needenfewer came up with the Dodgers in uh, 
1981, and through 1985, he had a 254 ERA, 277 FIP, uh, really, really good 2.66 strikeouts to walk ratio. Um, and then in 1985, in the postseason, he had those two implosions against the Cardinals that cost the Dodgers the NLCS uh, and made his name a name that I curse forever. And then after that, from 1986 on, uh, he had a 414 ERA, 451 FIP, and only a 1.59 strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, and then he played his final season. Uh, he left the Dodgers with the Orioles and then the Mariners and then played his final season with the Cardinals in 1990. And, uh, and so I like to joke that the, the, the good version of Tom Deaton fewer ended in the 1985 playoffs. Uh, so the Cardinals ended, uh, good Tom Deaton fewer's career in 1985. And then he finished his real career with the Cardinals in 1990. Uh, and the other reason I thought of Tom Deaton fewer is because I'm in Seattle right now, which is in the state of Washington and Tom Deaton fewer went to Washington state university. And I still have a hard time, uh, with Washington state university because of Tom Deaton fewer. I have irrational, dislike for Tom Deaton fewer because my first baseball memories are those home runs he gave up in 1985. So uh, Tom Deaton fewer is our obscure former Dodger for today. It's rational. It's Jeff. It's all rational when you're, you're a fan. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But hopefully the Dodgers are going to bounce back from this two games to none deficit like they did twice in 1981. So Vince, let's, uh, why don't we just go back and forth and just talk about reasons for optimism, okay? And, and let me couch this. This is not, we're, we're not burying our head in the sand. We both fully acknowledge the Dodgers are down two games to none. It's not a good situation. Uh, they are not the favorites to win this series at this point, uh, like they were coming into the series and probably even after losing game one. Uh, they are the underdogs now. But uh, let, let, let's talk about some reasons for hope, Vince. Yeah, so, you know, the big caveat in, in what I tweeted out was there was a lot of pros coming out from, from the ending of this game, but the big con is they are down 2-0. So when you're down 2-0, your margin for error is a lot less. You know, one bad inning, one bad error, one starting pitcher struggling, and you're pretty much back against the wall in situations that have almost never or in one situation one time has happened uh, in, in the case of the Red Sox in 2004. So noting that, uh, the fact of the matter is that the next three games, the Dodgers will be facing one starting pitcher who has had recent success but is young and should be someone the Dodgers could, could hopefully get to. And then if they win one of those, or if they win, or... Then they have two bullpen games after that. So they have to win one of those games, obviously. And then you get into the the first guys you saw and, and a repeat of that. So the big part of that is the bullpen. And the good part of it is in a game the Dodgers were trailing 7-0 very late in the game. They made or forced the Braves to use two of their better relievers in Martin and Melanson. Maybe putting them out of game three. But if not putting them out in game three, at least putting them back-to-back-to-back days in Game 3. And then if they do pitch in Game 3, then do they pitch four days in a row in Game 4? So you minimize the Braves' bullpen in that sense. You use two of their best arms. You got to the other guys that that they pitched. So in the terms of the offense, 
Now, if they can get to this young guy tomorrow, Kyle Wright, I believe, or if they can get him out in four or five innings again, then the Dodgers should be sitting pretty in the sense of how pretty you can be down 2-0. And it's all going to be up to the offense. They, you know, The next three games are key for several reasons, but key in the fact that they're not going to face a dominant starting pitcher. They're going to face bullpen guys they've either already seen, already hit off of, or guys that are going to be pitching three, two or three days in a row. So that's the big sense of optimism and the big hope. And obviously putting up seven runs in the last few innings is a good sign moving forward, but they just have to keep that going. You'd have to figure the Dodgers are favorites in each of the next three games, not overwhelming favorites. And, you know, they still have to go out and prove it on the field. But if you look at the matchups each of the next three days, the Dodgers should be favorites. The other, the other big reason for optimism for me is there's a reason the Dodgers didn't lose three games in a row this year. And that's because uh, they're a really good team and it's really hard to keep this team down for three games in a row. You know, we saw it uh, tonight. The Braves couldn't even keep them down for two full games in a row. Uh, They, the offense almost got the job done. And, and so I expect the offense to come out clicking uh, on what day did we decide it's going to be for game three Wednesday? Yeah. Man, I have no idea. I, I haven't known what day it is since like 1984. Um, but, you know, the the offense should come out clicking. And I mean, really, like you said, if they can knock Kyle right out of the game really early, you know, knock him out in the third inning, then you're basically, you're looking at three straight bullpen games for the Braves because now that, now that uh, Freed and Anderson have both pitched, we've now reached the part of the Braves rotation that I referred to yesterday and mentioned that I think my dead grandma's in the rotation. Freed and Anderson are both really good, but the rest of the Braves rotation is somewhere between unproven and non-existent. And so uh, if the Dodgers can pull off these next three games and go in to, and you know, two more matchups against Freed and, and Anderson only needed to win one, you know, seeing them for a second time, all those things, uh, I, I like the Dodgers' chances, and though that's a lot of big ifs, but uh, it's definitely doesn't feel hopeless to me right now. Yeah, it's about as hopeful as you can be down to zero. I would say, just because of the fact that you know you're going to get two bullpen games in the next three games, and you only need to win. You need to win two of those to, to keep the series going. The other part and the other big if is the Dodgers still have to shut down the Braves offense. Now, the Braves offense has been held down for the most part other than two bad innings, the ninth inning in game one and the fifth inning in game uh, two. So it's just Julio has to come out tomorrow and give them some length, give them at least six innings they've gotten five or five and change from the first two guys or almost five and change both nights from the other guys but julio has to come out and give them length uh, in order to shorten the bullpen get the main guys out there and not let some of these lower tier guys face the braves too many times as they'll need them later in the series and you know just the same way that the dodgers offense seen the Braves bullpen is beneficial to the Dodgers, hopefully. The same thing can see, can be said for the other side, where the Braves guys seeing more of the Dodgers guys can be beneficial. So, you know, the, the big if, obviously, is the offense, but 
supplementing that, you need the pitching to hold it down and, and keep the Braves within relative uh, scores of three runs or less, ideally, and let the offense go to work. Yeah, it would be really nice if the offense could jump out. Julio gives them six innings, and by the time Julio's done, the Dodgers have a big enough lead that it can be a, a mop-up. Obviously, they used Alex Wood already, so that's your main mop-up guy. But you know, use some of those low-leverage guys. Maybe get Pedro Baez back out there for a second day in a row. I don't, I don't know how many pitches he ended up throwing. It was probably maybe it was too many to expect him to go a second day in a row. But you know, get some of these guys who maybe need a little work or need a little confidence, uh, depending on what their plan is with Dustin May. You know, I assume they're going to be counting on him pretty heavily in Game Five, and so we probably won't see him out of the bullpen. But you know, it'd be nice if the Dodgers can have a comfortable lead by the time Julio's done. So it can be some low-stress innings for the bullpen, just getting ready to go into game four, looking solid. And uh, this is where, you know, in a regular series, in a regular NLCS, we'd have an off day today. But we don't. We have game three today. And that changes a lot of things. That's The nature of this postseason has changed. You know, Tony Gonsolin said he felt rusty and I had a back and forth with somebody who I think listens to the podcast, although he seems to hate everything I say, so I'm not sure why he does listen. But uh, if you're listening, I'm glad you are. Um, but he's insistent that the Dodgers should have thrown Gonsolin in the NLDS uh, so he wouldn't be rusty. Uh, but for me, you know, if he had if he had pitched instead of Julio in in the NLDS, then Julio would be about to start tomorrow on 14 days rest or 13 days rest and so maybe he's rusty and so you know the nature of knowing you're you might need five starters and then not needing them means some guys just aren't going to pitch and so yeah it sucks that that Gonson was rusty but also you know hopefully that means when we get to game seven uh Gonson won't be rusty and he'll be ready to come out and dominate and and that's a good situation but yeah, you know, there's so much. It's just different than anything we've ever dealt with before. Yeah, and this is where the Dodgers' depth that gets praised and called out and, and pretty much used as one of the main reasons for winning, this is where it's going to have to come through because they do have the starting pitching depth to a certain extent. They do have some bullpen depth a little bit more than the Braves, I would say. And this is where it has to come through, as well as on top of the offense scoring. You know, they're not going to do anything if the offense is not putting up five, six runs the next three days against a tired bullpen and a starter who is making his second career postseason start. Yeah, I think Jake McGee is the only pitcher, the only reliever who has pitched in both games of this series for the Dodgers so far. And so that's where their bullpen depth comes in. Like you said, the, the Braves have had to use a couple of their top relievers in each of these first two games, whereas the Dodgers haven't really had to repeat anybody. And so they're more rested. And, you know, like you were talking about, given, given the, the offenses, more looks at the relievers is a benefit to the offense. And so, yeah, like, I guess you put it the best. You're they're in as good a situation as they can be in being down O two 2 in the series. Uh, obviously I wish it was one, one or even two Oh, but it, it is what it is, and now they need to step up. And we've seen the Dodgers step up this season in situations like this after losing a couple games in a row. And uh, the Dodgers coming into this series were a better team than the Braves and still probably are. Uh, 
Uh, no, probably about. The Dodgers are still the better team. The the probably comes into, you know, or the maybe comes in. Can they win four of the next five games? And that's uh, that's the big question. Yeah, and that's a tough thing to do. But if there's any team that can do it, it's the Dodgers. And if there's any situation they can do it, it's kind of the situation they're in. So we're going to hope for the best. We're going to hope the offense puts up 10 tomorrow. Dodgers win, or tonight, Dodgers win. And then they go into game four with Kershaw, put up another 10, tie this series up, and make it best of three. Absolutely. You got any other thoughts, Vince? No, I'm good. Cool. Thank you all for listening to Locked on Dodgers. We appreciate it. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you have Apple Podcasts, go ahead and subscribe there. It helps other people find us. Uh, you can follow us on, on Instagram and Twitter at Locked on Dodgers. Vince is on Twitter at Vince Semperio. I'm on Twitter at Snydog. DMs are open in all of those places. Our email address is LockedOnDodgers at gmail.com. Our phone number is 323-863-LOCK-5625. You can leave us a voicemail or shoot us a text anytime you want over there. We are here every weekday morning, and we hope you'll be here with us. When you get in your car or sit on your couch, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Dodgers. And remember, you don't have to agree. You just have to listen. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. D. I say D-O. D-O-D-G-E-R-S. The team that's all hard. All hard and all thumbs. They're my Los Angeles. Your Los Angeles. Our Los Angeles. Do you think we'll really win the pennant? Bye.